Well, good morning. My name is Pastor Bear, and I am going to bring the word this morning. Um, the aforementioned awesome dad, I think is what we say. <laughs> you don't get that kind of publicity all the time, so you should take it with me. Well, thank you. This morning, we're going to continue in our series called Steadfast. This is our eighth installment today, and our topic for this morning is, is steadfast in community. And this is going to be a little awkward because in the first service, I kept motioning to the seniors. They were all sitting over there. They all left, but they all heard it once. So if I motion over there, just pretend like they're in those seats over there, if you would. Um, the, the steadfast in community is our topic for today. And as we venture into this, let's define terms real quickly again. Um, steadfast being unwavering, unfaltering, resolute, persistent, committed, dedicated, and firm. Community. The dictionary defines community as a group of people with whom you are associated or with whom you choose to associate. People with whom you are associated, like your family, or that you choose to associate with. So, as I was thinking about this this last couple of weeks, um, I brought the example of community for you this morning. This is my daughter Maddie's letter jacket from Tomball High School. And it kind of represents this whole idea of community. See, there are some things that we, we choose to join up with, and, and they become part of our community. As all of my kids have gone into high school, I've said, you know, this is a, a chance in your life for you to find a group that you fit with. This is a chance for you, whether it be athletics or band or choir or drama or whatever it is, there's a chance for you to find a group in which you belong. And, and that becomes your community. And, and a lot of us that are much older now remember the community that we were a part of in high school or maybe through college and, and all the rest. And, and they're probably some of our better memories but God's vision for us in community is a little bit deeper than that. But let me share with you a little bit about this letter jacket. On the front is the big T. Did you know that, like, the letter T originated here in Tomball? Um, if you listen to any of the band people, they'll tell you that, that we invented the block T here, and, and so we're very proud of T, and I think we get royalties from that somehow. I'm not positive about that because the budget's always not quite what it should be. And on Maddie's T, it says, it says Color Guard because she was part of the Color Guard. For those of you who are uninformed, that means that during the football games and then in the winter season of the year, there is a group of girls, and this year we had one guy who get together, and they, they are like the, uh, out on the field with the band at halftime and stuff, and they're swinging the flags and maybe throwing rifles or sabers or hula hoops or something else out there. They are the color guard, and they make things really cool. She's not even here to hear that. Anyway, on the sleeve... 2016. That is her next little bit of community. She is part of the class of 2016, Tomball High School. Then it has this little patch here. Oh, Aaron's still there. There is a senior here. Thanks, Aaron, for hanging around. Um, so she wanted to have something that represented her. So she's got a cross on her sleeve that says Faith. That is also Maddie's middle name. So that's kind of handy there as well. On this sleeve, it has two crossed uh, rifles, because she was one of the rifle throwers in the color guard crew uh, at the high school. And then on the back is one of the most important communities. 
has her name, has our family name, because of all the community she's ever going to be a part of, that is the one she will be a part of the longest as part of our family. And my prayer for each one of my kids is that they represent our family well and they represent the name of Jesus Christ well as they move out into this world and carry on those two names as an Erickson and as a follower of Jesus Christ from this point forward. There's also something very cool in here. She has a Bible verse. It's one of my favorite Bible verses. It's Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. I think we can put that up there. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. See, it's a great Bible verse because of, of who it is that God is speaking to in this verse. It's also a great verse just for all of us to hang on to. Do not be or be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. In whatever community you become a part of, the Lord your God is with you. And therefore, you can be steadfast. You can be strong. You can be courageous. You do not need to fear. This was God's instruction to the man Joshua as he took over the leadership of the nation of Israel and led them into the promised land. If you want to do a great study, the book of Joshua is phenomenal. And this idea of being strong and courageous and that the Lord is going to be with Joshua wherever he went and whatever he did is a a line that runs through the whole book and the whole story of Joshua at the end of his life. Joshua lived to be 110 years old, and this is the latter years of his life. But Joshua was a steadfast man. I want to just look at his life for just a second. Joshua entered the world as a slave in the land of Egypt. And as you might know from the the story in the book of Exodus in the Old Testament, all of the, the people of Israel, as they followed Moses out of the land of Egypt, all the adults wound up dying in the wilderness, save two, Joshua and Caleb. And we'll get more to that in just a second. So Joshua started his life as a slave. Joshua, though, was chosen out of that group to be Moses' right-hand man. Moses, the leader, the deliverer, the the, um, Messiah that came to the people of, of Israel while they were in Egypt, the deliverer that took them out of slavery, Joshua was his right-hand man. Joshua was with him in all the things that he did and stood by him at all times. But Joshua was also a leader in his tribe. The nation of Israel was made up of 12 tribes, and Joshua was the leader of the tribe, one of the leaders of the tribe of Ephraim. We know that because at one point in time, they get to the land of Canaan, the promised land that God is going to deliver to the Israelites, and God says to Moses, choose one man, a leader from each of the 12 tribes of Israel, And we're going to take them, we're going to send them in to spy out the land, to scout out the land, and to see how good a land it is and how we're going to go about conquering that land. And they chose one leader from each tribe, and Joshua was the one that was chosen from the tribe of Ephraim. So he was a natural-born leader. It turns out that Joshua, although he was raised a slave, was a natural-born soldier and military uh, had a great military mind. Because when they get to conquering the land of uh, Canaan, then Joshua is the one that is leading the troops all the way. 
But Joshua's real claim to fame comes in this time where he is sent as a spy into the promised land. There's 12 tribes of Israel, 12 men go in, they come back, and 10 say no, and 2 say go. That was the hand motions for the morning there. You got that? Okay. And Joshua is one of the two guys that says, we need to go in and we need to take this land of Canaan, the promised land that God has promised to us. And all the other spies say, no, it's a land that's, although it's a good land, there's giants there and we're not military people. We have no idea how we're going to do all this. And Joshua says, no, God says it's ours. God says he's going to deliver it into our hands. We need to just go. Because if God says it, it's going to happen, and we need to just do this. Because of the stand that Joshua and Caleb take, they are the only two that get to, of the adults that left the land of Egypt, that get to and into the promised land. Everybody else over the next 40 years dies in the wilderness that are adults. Joshua gets to go in. Because Joshua was willing to stand on what God had said rather than on the logic of people. See, Joshua, like I said, was, was Moses' right-hand man. But while he was just Moses' right-hand man before this time where he went in and to spy out the land of, of uh, Canaan, Joshua had a different name. He was Hosea at that point, which means helper, which is what he was. He was Moses' helper. He was Moses' right-hand guy, stood right by him. But after he came back and said, God said he's going to deliver this land into our hands, we need to go and take it, God changed his name to Joshua, which now means God's helper. See, Joshua had all kinds of natural gifts and abilities on his own, but when he took those natural gifts and abilities of leadership and of military smarts and of all the things that God had gifted him with just as natural talents and put them under the control of God, he then became God's servant. And that's where Joshua made a real impact. God moved, used Joshua in mighty ways when he moved beyond his own human abilities and trusted and depended on God absolutely. And my hope for, for each of the graduates, I shared this earlier, and my hope for each one of us today is that we would have that same attitude. Although God has gifted each one of us with certain natural talents, natural abilities, natural things that we do well, that we would take those things and we would put them under God's control and we would listen to what God's word says about the way we are to live our lives and under God's control, under God's direction, the natural gifts and abilities that we have will be multiplied so much greater and we would do great and phenomenal things because God is the one that is controlling our lives and God is the one that is dictating our next steps. If we do that, then we can truly be steadfast in the communities in which we exist. And we all have different communities that we exist in. We all have our families. Some of us have schools. Some of us have jobs. We have neighborhoods. We have extended families. We've got all kinds of things that we're a part of. And in those communities, if we are willing to not just have gifts that God has bestowed on us, but put those gifts under God's control and seek after his direction, then God will take those things and he will multiply them into something great. And that should be our desire. We should want to be unwavering, unfaltering, resolute, persistent, committed, dedicated, and firm within the group of people with whom we are associated or with whom we choose to associate. 
And the way to do that is to be abiding in Christ, to be in his word, and to be doing the things that God desires for us to do. And then he will do the rest. So as we get into that this morning, I want to look at our passage this morning from 1 Thessalonians. It's chapter 4, and it's verses 9 through 12. So if you have your Bible, would you open there and read along with me? 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 9 through 12 says this. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly, and to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we have instructed you, so that you may walk properly before the outsiders and be dependent on no one. Two weeks ago in our series, John Hattenberger spent uh, a good bit of time up here discussing the, the love that we are to have. And if you remember, he had one word. What was his word? Huh? Agape was his word. Agape is that self-sacrificing love that expects nothing in return. And that is the love that God desires that each one of us has and shares with others. But in today's passage, Paul continues on that theme of love, but he backs up a step. Look at verse 9 with me, if you will. Now concerning brotherly love, this is a whole different word. This is the word phileo. It means just friendship kind of love. So he says, now concerning brotherly love, I have no need to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. And Paul shifts and he says, you've gone from this brotherly love, this phileo love, to agape love, this self-sacrificing, expecting nothing in return love. And here's how this happens. God has done a work in your life. When God does a work in your life, you can go from being just a great friend to being someone that loves in the way that God desires that you love. That's self-sacrificing, expecting nothing in return love. And the the key to this, Paul says, is that, that God has taught the Thessalonians to do this. This isn't something that comes naturally. So if you have a hard time being that person, if you have a hard time being that, that man or woman that's, that says, I just love unconditionally. And, and when I love people, when I do for people, I really expect nothing in return. That's our human nature, to, to not do that well. But, but Paul says to the Thessalonians, God has taught you how to do that. And that's something that should be celebrated. And that's something that we should be excited about. It's a step beyond where we are naturally. You know, we, we all know people in our lives that, that are naturally loving and they're kind and they're giving. Maybe they're hospitable. They have all those things. And, and some of us have different gifts in that, that range. But we all know people that just kind of that's natural, their personality. But this is different than that. This is something that comes straight from God, and this is something that God can use in our lives to really, really impact people. Look at what it says here in verse 10. It says that it's impacting people all the way, all throughout Macedonia. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brethren throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. See, here's my next point of the morning here. 
And that is that God has, or Paul has told these, these folks that you need to get beyond just loving people and to really love them as God wants you to love them. And that God will empower you to do this. But then he says, it's not a destination. Get this. He says, it's not how, it's not a destination. It's not just like a lightning strike and all of a sudden, boom, I'm good at this and, and I'm just going to do it and, and I've done it now, so I'm done. But it's a process. It says, we urge you brothers to do this more and more. See, a lot of the Bible lessons that we learn are not really destinations. They're just a, a place along the way. And that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying that, that this process that he wants the Thessalonians to undertake is going to be a lifelong parade. I want to go back to one of the verses from when John spoke two weeks ago. It's, it's 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 12, and it says this, And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another for, uh, and for all, as we do for you. May the Lord make you increase and abound. You got that? It's not a, it's not a destination. He says, you're going to start at one place and you can get better at it. You're going to increase. You're going to abound. In the passage we just read from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it says you're going to do this more and more. Here's what I want you guys to understand this morning. When you become a believer, when you ask Jesus Christ to be your Savior, you don't have it made at that point. God wants to continue to do a work in your life. He wants to do it more and more. He wants it to continue to abound. He wants it to increase. What God is doing in your life, he wants to be a process of making you more like himself. Just like God loves us unconditionally without any expectation of getting anything back, that's how he wants us to love other people. And it's not a natural thing, but it is something that we can get better at because God continues to build that into our lives. Unfortunately, most of us come and we are content with where we are. And if we're better than the people that we know around us at some things that God, we know God wants us to do, then we think we've mastered it. But that's not what Paul says. He says, more and more, increasingly abounding more all the time. Getting better at this, working at it all the time to be better at it. The Bible refers to the Christian, and we talk about this all the time, as the Christian walk. And I, you know, if I say God wants us to have this, this walk that we have as Christians, you know, we, certain things pop into our mind. You know, maybe it's that we would be praying on a regular basis. Maybe it is that we get up an extra half hour early in the morning to spend time in his work. Those are both great things. Maybe it's how we treat other people. All those are great things. But here's the deal. It's a walk, and it's a daily walk, and there is no end destination in the whole thing. And that's the key part. You're never going to get there, but God wants you to be different today than you were yesterday. He wants you to be different tomorrow than you were today, and he wants to continue to pour into your life so that you can become the person that he truly wants you to be. In 1980, Eugene Peterson wrote a book called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. All you need to know about it is the title at this point. A Long Obedience in the Right Direction. The Bible lays out real clearly the direction that, it want, that he wants for each of us to go. We are to love people unconditionally without any expectation of getting anything in return. We are to share the gospel with everyone that we meet. We are to be steadfast in our community. We're to do all these things. And the idea behind the book that Eugene Peterson wrote is that it's a long journey. But it's a journey in the same direction, 
all the time, and that's to be more and more like God. Let's continue on, though, with the next verse. Verse 11 says this, And we are to aspire to live quietly and to mind our own affairs and work with our hands as we instructed you. That word and is a nice bridge from from this idea of God is going to make us something and he is going to, along the way, uh, turn us into something different than we are today, tomorrow. And then he gives us four real practical things here after that word and. He tells us four very practical things that we can do that he wants to do with us that will make us into those people that he really wants us to be. Let's look at them one by one. The first one, live quietly. This has nothing to do with volume. It has to do with busyness. God says you have to be able to hear from him. And we do that in the quiet, in the still, in the quiet places. Psalm 46.10 says that we are to be still and know that he is God. Mark 6.31 says that we are to come away and stop coming and going and just rest and absorb what God has for us. And that is very, very difficult to do in our society today. It's very difficult for us to say we're just going to take some time. And you know what we are really bad at is listening. Listening for God. Listening to hear God's voice. And I'm not saying you're necessarily going to hear an audible voice from God. But so many times I think we get into this whole thing of we're going to, we're going to try and, and do our best to, to be in communion with God. And so we're going to get up a little bit earlier in the morning. And we're going to spend some time in prayer. And we're going to read through God's word. And we've given it a whole 20 minutes or half hour or 45 minutes or if you're really good, an hour. And we get all the way through that. And we've done our prayer time. And we've done our journaling. And we've done our reading in God's word. And then we're ready to take on the day. And how often do we just pause and say, speak to me, God. Let this impact my heart and my life. How often are we just still before God so that God can truly speak into our lives? Not very often most of the time. We need to stop coming and going and seeking just to do the right thing and let God share with us the right thing sometimes. It's easy to get caught up in life so that God gets squeezed out. And unfortunately, it's even some of the things of God that we do that can do that. We can be so involved in things, you know, trying to to be uh, heavenly-minded that we're really of no earthly good because we don't pause and hear from God. And that's what he wants us to do. So we need to aspire to live quietly. The second thing he says is that we need to mind our own affairs. Paul wrote this before there even was Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, whatever else. I will tell you this right now, and I shared this with the seniors that were here earlier. Nobody really cares what you thought of the pickle you ate yesterday. You may think that that's something post-worthy somewhere, but nobody really cares about that. And, And if that's what you really care about in life is what your friends thought about the pickle they ate yesterday, you need to A, get a better class of friends, And B, you need to spend a little more time in God's Word and quit caring about the affairs of people out there so much. Mind your own affairs. We don't need to know everything about everybody. And certainly everybody doesn't need to know our every thought and action. And that is becoming increasingly more against the norm. 
It's not a mistake that the richest guy in America is the guy that invented Facebook, where people can just share their every thought and, you know, find out about everybody else's every thought. That's not what God wants us to be about. It's not about the postings that we can be, but it's about the time that we can spend in relationship with other people so that we can have a chance to impact them, so that we can have a chance to love them unconditionally and share Jesus Christ with them. That's what we are supposed to be about. Years ago, there was a commercial on TV, there was a series of commercials, and, and John Houseman was the, was the spokesperson. He's this very sage elderly man that looks like, you know, the guy you want to be your corporate lawyer and that kind of thing. And, and he was always sitting in, in some kind of restaurant someplace and people would be talking about stocks and how to make money in the world and how to be secure and everybody would be all this chatter and then someone would inevitably say, well, my broker is E.F. Hutton. And when they say that, everything in the restaurant would stop and just pause. Everybody be quiet and everybody lean in to get, a, to get an ear and hear what was being said. Because when E.F. Hutton speaks, people listen. That was the tagline that this guy said at the end of every commercial. And you know what? That is the kind of people that we ought to be. We ought to be the people that are listening to the E.F. Huttons and the kind of people that are the E.F. Huttons that when we say something, it's something worth hearing. It's easy to fill up the world with a lot of words and a lot of stuff. But let's strive to be important in what we do, to make the communication that we have important and just to mind our own affairs. The third thing that Paul says here in this verse is work with your hands. You know, in communities, people can use, or people who can actually do something are generally more useful to a community than those who just have great thoughts and observations. The first settlers that came to this country from Europe settled in Jamestown. When they came to Jamestown, if you remember, they, they were fleeing all the stuff in, in, in Europe, and, and they were an industrious, hardworking people that got on these boats and sailed over here, and they were going to settle in this new world, and they were going to all work together, and they were going to make a great community. And then something happened. They got here, and when, two things happened when they got here. One, they discovered that there was actually gold here in this country and that they could actually find it if they went and looked for it a little bit. The second thing that happened is the governor, when, we, when they got here, that they appointed this guy governor, and he said, you know, because we all have our different gifts and abilities and stuff, here's what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to live communally together, and we're all going to get together, and we're going we're gonna to pool all our resources, and we're going to, you know, share our crops and our animals and all the stuff that we have with each other, and that way we'll all be better off because we'll all be sharing amongst each other. Well, what happened is nobody bothered to plant crops. Nobody bothered to raise the animals. Nobody bothered to collect the eggs. They all just started looking on the ground hoping to find gold. And if you know the story of Jamestown, they all almost perished in the first winter after all that happened because they weren't willing to do the work with their hands. God has given each one of us a set of gifts and abilities and skills, and we need to not be afraid to do hard work that especially is going to contribute to someone else. Being a great thinker is great, but if that's all you do is ever think, you're really not much use to a lot of people. The fourth thing he says, 
we are to do all this as we instructed you. So Paul says, here's the deal, guys. You've got these things that you're supposed to be doing here. You're supposed to live quietly. You're supposed to mind your own affairs. You're supposed to do this work with your hands. You're supposed to be industrious and, and doing what you can. But do it as we have instructed you. So I go back to this again, that, that God has given each of us skills and tasks and abilities and things that we have but when we put them under God's control and we seek to use them in a way that is pleasing to God, then he multiplies them and our little abilities that we have become great and mighty abilities. Somehow, that man Joshua, who grew up cutting stone to build pyramids and hauling it across the desert, was a great military leader. It wasn't because that's what he learned in school as a kid. It's because God gifted him. God took him as a leader, and he gifted him to be a great military leader. We all have our own little set of stuff that God has made us, but when we put it in his control and we seek to use it to further his kingdom, he multiplies it into something great. And if all you want to do is settle for what God has sort of put in your life, you're really shortchanging him and you. God wants to take you and to make you into something great because you are truly trying to do this as the Bible instructed you. Those are all four great things that we're supposed to do. But what is the real outcome if we do those things? We're going to love people unconditionally. We're going to do all these things, and we're going to then have an outcome. Look at verse 12 with me, if you will. Verse 12 says, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. I should have asked for a show of hands in the first service because I think all the senior people had parents in here. If I said to you 18 years ago that as a senior parent, you know, uh, how does this sound for a couple goals for your kid 18 years later when they're graduating from high school? That they're going to walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. It's a pretty good place to start, don't you think? Because it also says that God's going to build our people into that. Dependent on no one, let's be clear with that. Dependent on no human. Dependent on God so that he will help you to walk properly before outsiders. Outsiders are people who don't know Jesus as their Savior yet. And for all those kids that are graduating now in 15 or 20 years when they're ready to get married, thank you. Mine's a daughter, so maybe 25, 30. Um, thank you. <laughs> There's a human relationship that's very special. But if that becomes the greatest relationship that you have in your life instead of seeking after God, then you're shortchanging yourself and your spouse in your relationship with him. See, God wants us to do these, these things to be dependent on no one but him. And when we do those things, we can be the people that he desires for us to be. So to go back again, God desires for each of us to be 
his helper, to take the gifts and abilities and things that, that he has given us and to put them under his control and to seek hard after him, to, to try and abide in him, to listen to him, to be quiet so that we can hear from him. And then use what he has given us to love other people unconditionally, self-sacrificially, so that they too can come to know Jesus as their Savior. So we can live well before outsiders, so they too will have a desire to have what we have. That's what we need to be about. We're all in different communities. We all have different families. You know, if I held up everybody's letter jacket, it'd have different patches that are important of different stuff with you. You know, look out at some of the students out here, and I know some of the things that you're involved in. This, this, you know, if we took all the, the patches that belong in everybody's jacket, it would be a huge set here. We all have these different communities that we're a part of. And we need to be steadfast. We need to be unmovable because we're dependent on God, because we're seeking to serve him first. And we need to be steadfast in the communities that we occupy. And that should be our goal today. And you, you, if you're not there yet, it's okay. Get this point this morning. More and more, ever increasing, ever abounding. That's what God wants us to do. He wants us to start where we are today and be better tomorrow than we were today and be better the day after that than we were tomorrow and move ahead and let him change our lives so that we can truly serve him and draw others to him. Let me close our time in a word of prayer. Lord God, I thank you so much that, that you don't just wave a wand, Lord, and that our time is finished, but Lord, that you come to us and you say, abide in me and I will abide in you. And when I abide in you, I can make you different than you came in here today. I can make you to be the kind of person who lives well before outsiders and who draws them in each different community towards you. Lord, I pray that you would make that the, the heart of each one of us that's here, that we would reach those that you have placed around us because we are seeking hard after you, Lord. Lord, help us to be quiet before you, to hear you. Help us, Lord, to be responsive before you so that we can be used by you to change the communities in which you've placed us. Thank you, Lord, for your word. May it be an inspiration to our hearts today, I pray in Christ's name.